the wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to the Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. And today we're going to cover chapters 32 through 36 of The Eye of the World, book one of the Wheel of Time. Uh, last time. So last time Perrin had a really bad dream, so the whole Team Wolf group split up with the Traveling Leaf people. Uh, they had a run-in with a murder of murder ravens, and they learned why white cloaks are the worst thing ever. Uh, also, Nynaeve still sucks, and is totally killing Moraine and Land's good time travel vibe. It's <laughs> really sad for him. What do you think Moraine and Land do when they're just traveling by themselves? I have a whole lot more fun than they're having right now, that's for sure. <laughs> and then Matt, Rand, and Tom all arrived in Whitebridge, but Tom goes all Gandalf with a half-man, instead of a Balrog, you know? Is it half? Yeah, yeah, we get it. And then, <laughs> so Matt and Rand take up uh, Gleamening to get by. Gleamening yes. is a new verb I invented. Gleamening, yeah. I like that. Gleamening. Gleamening. Yeah. So that, that leads us right into chapter 32, Four Kings in Shadow, which has the Dragon's Fang symbol on it. Uh, in this, uh, first, Rand and Matt arrive at a town called Four Kings. They're on the Camelin Road, which one presumes goes to Camelin. Hmm. Hopefully they're going to Camelin, not away from Camelin. Yeah, they didn't really check with anyone, right? They just started walking <laughs> down the Camelin Road. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they got a 50-50 chance of getting it right. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Four Kings is b- a busy, like, trading town, and it really seems awful. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Rand thinks about how everybody's, like, nobody knows each other, and it's, it's like, muddy, and, and nobody, like, all the whitewash is not whitewashed on the walls of the town, which he takes to mean these people are unvirtuous. Yeah, it's definitely like a dingy feel, and you do get a sense that there's like this whole smaller towns are better kind of vibe. As they're going into these bigger spaces, it's yeah, like less is, good. It's like a, a warehouse town or something. It's very busy, a company town. Yeah. Uh, there's no. It doesn't seem like a place where people actually live, although there are kids playing in the wagon ruts. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But no woman stood gossiping over the fence with the neighbors, so you know this is a bad place. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. Maybe they just don't have anything to gossip about, because everybody's you know keeping it tight. I don't know. I've spent some time in small towns, and there's always <laughs> yeah. there's always gossip. There's good gossip. It's true. Yeah, he, I remember Rand notices that that the women in particular don't meet anybody's eyes when they're walking around. Yeah, we need to get into that when we start talking about the inn. Yeah, because so the the inns are all kind of full except for this one inn. They find the dancing cartman, which is a real shithole. Yeah, and they Rand and Matt at this point are gleaming around. Rand's playing a flute apparently badly, and Matt is juggling apparently okay. But that's enough to like. You know, put butts in seats at these ends. Well, I mean, Rand says he's doing badly, but I don't know. I mean, everyone who listened to him is like, oh, Rand, you're such a nice flute player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but he's always like, and they didn't even notice all those, those, the notes I missed and how I didn't know the songs they were asking for. <laughs> <laughs> that, as someone, I mean, you've played instruments before. That's probably true, right? When it's you're playing true, a song, yeah. like, nobody really notices when you miss a note. Yeah, that's a good point. They, so they go in there and the innkeeper, Samuel Hake, uh, is, they, they meet this guy and they offer their services and this guy is just, just pretty awful. He's a jerk, yeah. He's a real jerk. Like while he's while they're talking to him, he slaps one of the maids, <laughs> yeah. and and then like and makes her he slaps her and knocks her down, makes her makes her drop the wine she's carrying, and he's like, "You're docked for wasting that wine." It's, it's super messed up. Yeah, this guy sucks. Yeah, it's awful. Just the whole place is awful because they're talking about how the customers are constantly molesting the serving women, yeah, and who just put up with it, which is awful. Right, with long suffering, fixed smiles or whatever. This is just well, yeah. it's like to be, you know. It's like what the what the f are you doing there? It's, it's Robert hard to believe that this town and the other towns that they visited are right next to each other on the road, you know. Yeah, a day's a day's travel apart, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. They talked to to Samuel Hake and uh, Samuel Hake agrees to let them play there in exchange for, like, room and board. 
but it's really like he's acting super shifty about it. You know, he sees Rand's hair and Mark's sword, and he's he basically says with his eyes and body, "I'm going to rob you." That's <laughs> yeah. why I'm letting you stay here because I'm going to rob you. And this is exactly his demeanor for this entire interaction. It's also worth noting that he's a skinny innkeeper, which. I think Rand has decided he doesn't like skinny people. Yeah, skinny <laughs> and dirty. We need to start keeping a list of the innkeepers that they meet. Mm, yeah, that's yeah true. I feel like they spend a lot of time meeting innkeepers. <laughs> yeah, for what it's worth, this guy is a bony man with long stringy hair to his shoulders turned to scowl at them as they came through the door. Yeah, that's, and so if, if he was fat with like a bald spot, then he'd be a great guy. Yeah. No problem. You I know, think... it feels a little like role play like to me, you know? Yeah. yeah, you move on to the next town, you're the traveler, you move on to the next town, the Gleeman, and you go to the inn, and that's where you get your information. <laughs> that's true, yeah. Click yeah. here for, to get your next quest. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we, they uh, they do play the inn. Uh, they're, they're playing in the common room, and it does pack this inn. This inn was empty before, but when they start playing that flute and juggling them balls, these, the, the raucous tavern guards or, or caravan guards and stuff come in and, like, fight each other and shout, and it's really rowdy. Yeah, there's a knife fight that breaks out between the juggling fans and the flute fans. <laughs> yeah, like, really, guys? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's true. And the, the bouncers just toss them all out. The bouncers are like, whatever, what we do all day, break up knife fights. Yeah, doesn't seem like a thing. Right, and the, in particular, one guy walks in that is a, a well-dressed man who does not belong in this place. Uh, he's, like, fat and sleek. Sleekly fleshy is what it says, whatever <laughs> yeah. that means. Sleek, I think that means smooth. I, I was like trying to, I, like I was imagining like someone who's kind of like doughy but also sweaty, but I don't know if that's what he meant. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, but of course, no, 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 but we also need to remember mm. he was not only sleekly fleshy with a soft look to his hands and a velvet coat, he also had a dark green velvet cloak lined with blue silk. Oh, the which, cloak is very important. Yes, which the serving wenches talk about later because they're jealous of it. Oh, it is a very nice cloak. <laughs> he must nice be a cloak. very important person. What does it mean if it's dark green velvet? with and the blue on the inside? Yeah. The different color on the inside means this guy's not showing you what, what he really is. Oh, right? yeah, that's true. On the outside, <laughs> he's dark green velvet, but on the inside, yeah. blue silk. Never trust a blue silk cloak. <laughs> this is the old saying. That's what I always say. In Four Kings. <laughs> So this guy comes in and he he walks in like he's like he's just checking the place out briefly, but then he like hears something, or he acts like he just realized something, and he sits down and stares at Rand and Matt for the whole rest of the evening. Yep. Mm-hmm. In a really creepy way. Howell Goad. Yeah, Howell Goad is his name because definitely because Rand takes a break and the and the kitchen people are talking about this guy because he doesn't belong there. That's like clearly a bad guy name, right? Yeah, and he's got rings on his fingers and he's watching them with a smile of satisfied recognition. Right. Yeah. So this yeah. guy is not playing it chill at all. <laughs> he's a creepy guy. He's making creepy faces at him. Yeah, and he's so creepy that even these like tough caravan guard guys won't sit at his table. He just glances at them, even though he's really soft. You know. Yeah. I have to say, there is nothing subtle about this. Entire chapter, really. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, this this guy, he, I mean, minor spoiler, he screams dark friend. Yeah. You think, who's a dark friend? It's this shady merchant dude that acts creepy around everybody. That's <laughs> yeah. the dark friend. I wonder, yeah. Can you spot the dark friend in the room? Is it the, the, the slippery, <laughs> doughy guy who's making leering faces at you while you're playing your instrument? <laughs> right. well, there's just this feeling of inevitability going on there. Like, you know that the innkeeper is going to screw them over somehow. Yeah. And try to rob them. You know, they're just surrounded by bad guys. And yeah. to make it even more obvious, we've got this crazy thunderstorm going on. Right, of course, yeah. It's, it's raining outside, and that's one of the reasons Rand and Matt don't want to just leave this messed up situation behind. Because it's like a thunderstorm out there, and, and that's bad to sleep in, I guess. Yeah, I think when they're in the kitchen, there's like a moment when they're trying to decide. They're like, well, I mean, 
<laughs> if we stay here, this guy's probably going to try and rob us. But if we leave, well, I mean, it sucks out there. Yeah, exactly. Plus, they haven't eaten in a few days, I think. Right. So they're they're kind of desperate and they're holed up. And I think the innkeeper has his, uh, his thugs, his bouncers watching them so they can't just sort of book it that easily. Yeah. And But in the meantime, there's this whole other threat going on with Howell Goad uh, watching them as they play. So they play for as long as they can. They play all the songs they can, but eventually the, the room empties out and it's time to go to sleep. And uh, Samuel Hake actually doesn't rob them then. He takes them to the uh, back room where because he, he said in his like uh, cheapskate way, you can sleep in the storage closet. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what he does. He leads them to the storage closet. And then uh, and leaves them there. Lets them leaves them there to go to sleep. Rand the whole time is thinking they're about to rob us. They're going to rob us now, but he leaves them there. And, and Rand figures out that they're going to wait till they're asleep because Rand has a sword, so they don't want to rob him right away. Yeah, it's less risky to to club them while they're asleep, I suppose. Yeah, and they they want to escape, but there's and there's there's a window, but the window is barred, and apparently it's barred with like dozens of nails holding the bars to the. The window for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they're trying to keep out of their storage room, which yeah. doesn't seem to have anything useful in it. Right, it's just junk. Yeah. So they're in the middle of the night. Somebody comes sneaking at their door, at the door of the thing, uh, and Rand thinks it's it's uh, Samuel Hake with his thugs, but it's not. It's the dark friend, Howell Goad, who we don't know necessarily is a dark friend now, but he pretty much says, I'm a dark friend. <laughs> Let me in. <laughs> hey, guys, I want to come in and tell you about my dark friend ways. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of our true, our Lord and Savior, the Dark One? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that because he's trying to convince them life everlasting, power beyond dreams. He's trying to convince Rand and Matt to go over to the dark side. But what if they had just called it something else? Because yeah. if they didn't call them dark friends, they didn't call them the Dark Lord. If they're like the Lord of Light and Light friends, like wouldn't that sound a lot better? Like it sounds like a pretty good deal that they're offering here. It's true. He says, "Yeah, you'll live forever, and and you know you'll be like." You know, second in command to the Great Lord of the Dark. But other than that, everything's great. Honestly, yeah. When Now that you mention it, when I was reading this, I was like, that doesn't sound like a bad deal. I mean, like, if the coming darkness is coming, you want to be on the, the winning side, right? Yeah, and I guess one of the issues I have is I feel like Rand doesn't give us a particularly good reason for opposing the Dark Ones, except that he has this fixed idea that evil... This is evil. It's bad, so I need to stay away. But he doesn't really have anything more complex going on there. So what you're saying is the Dark One really has a branding issue. That must be it. <laughs> Definitely. He needs to change his name to like the Bacon Lord or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or loves bacon. That yes. sounds great, actually. Yes. Yeah. Are you a bacon friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love bacon. <laughs> Good. Me too. <laughs> Come join the Bacon Lords. Yes, I want to be a Bacon Lord. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. These. Well, Howell Goad in particular is not very good at selling this because he's like. You know, come submit to the great lord of the dark and, you know, you can serve in hell or something like that. Yeah, was he expecting that to change Rand's mind at all? It doesn't sound like a particularly convincing argument. Maybe he just thought he had Rand trapped because he does have, he's got thugs with him in the hallway and there's, and as Rand looks out, there's thugs outside the window too. Mm. Uh, so they can't get away. So he may just be gloating. Or killing time until they can get in. Are they they all dark friends too? I assume so. I mean... Are there just a lot of dark friends everywhere? Well, I mean, I mean like, judging by the next few chapters, yes. All out of trees. So, yeah, go, go tries to talk him into uh, joining him, but Rand's like, no, I don't want to join the dark one just because you told me to. Guy who creeped me out all night. <laughs> no, I don't want to join you and go to hell. That sounds like an awful deal. If yeah. he had just done it a little cooler, yeah. who knows? Things could have been yeah. very different. Yeah, that's right. 
But anyway, so Rand is panicking, right? And right at the moment where it looks like they're totally screwed, the door is about to get beat open, uh, lightning strikes and Whoa! blows open the room. <laughs> How fortunate. Like, out of nowhere. Well, good luck. Yeah, Rand is like, no way out. There's no way out. And then, boom, there's this flash of light. Uh, it, it's incredibly hot. Rand is, like, knocked across the room. The door is blown outward. And they, as Rand, like, grabs Matt and drags him out the door, all the dudes that were waiting outside are all dead. <laughs> Oops. Uh, yeah. Which I mean, is, oh. that's pretty lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Which they even say. Yeah, right? He's like, what the heck just happened? Lightning just blew up this this building for us to get out. <laughs> How fortunate, and yet somehow unlikely. Right. So they ran to Matt. Uh, Matt is, is blinded because he was looking right at the window when the lightning hit it. But they stagger off into the stormy night. And that's uh, that's probably the most unusual thing that's happened to Rand yet. He always has these lucky breaks. I mean, personally, but I mean... He's also seen, like, people throwing fireballs around, but, you know. I guess that's true, yeah. But, you're right, like, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. no there's, there's no ice to die around to blame it on right now. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so that's, then, that's the end of that chapter. Next is chapter 33, The Dark Waits, uh, with the symbol of a heronmark sword. Which I guess is Rand? The symbol of Rand? Yeah, I think that's the symbol of Rand. And herons and swords. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 I guess the last one was the the, was the, the, the mark of the dragon to... to, to indicate know, dark friends. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So this would be like a Rand chapter, yeah. I suppose. So this is a really long chapter. Yes. And a lot of stuff happens in it. So uh, Rand and Matt, it's actually structured kind of interestingly, like a short story. Rand and Matt are riding with this farmer, Hyam Kinch, and there's lots and lots of traffic on the road, and, and Rand is really sick. He's like kind of laying in the back of the wagon. And... Uh, Rand is wondering who these soldiers are, and Kinch informs him that they're the Queen's Guards. They work for the Queen. They ride around keeping the peace for the Queen. And who the heck are Rand and Matt that they don't know who the Queen's Guard are? Uh, and, and Rand is like, well, I've never never heard of these people. You know, these people never come to the two rivers. So this nice guy, this nice farmer, offers to offers the, them his farm to hole up for a while, but Matt is a total dick to him. He really is. Yeah, like he is a lot. And so they, they keep going. And then there's a flashback. Apparently this was something that happened in the future, or we're flashing back to what happened that night at Four Kings. And that's the rest of the chapter, is this flashback. So as Rand and Matt stagger away from the dancing cartman, uh, with Matt, Matt's now blind-ish from the lightning, they're sleeping under the hedge, and, and Rand, of course, has another dream. And in this dream, it's really creepy. He meets Baalzaman in the inn, the, dark, the dancing cartman, right. and Howell Goat is there, but he's fried. He's, like, all burned. You know, he can't, like, talk. He's making these horrible noises instead of talking. And Balsamon is saying, oh, I found you because my loyal hound here found you. And then uh, and then he basically says, okay, well, now you get your reward, loyal hound, and apparently sends the guy to hell. Right, that's, like, torches him screaming, I think. He just, like, bursts into flames or something, right? Well, he, he turns into ash, but, like, Rand specifically says he, he like, had this expression on his burned face like he was looking for his, his reward. He's really happy. But then his expression turned to... As though he had seen something he didn't expect. It turned to horror, and then he turns into ash. Wait, wait. So if you work for the Dark One, you go to hell? Apparently. I mean, that's a surprise, I guess. I don't know. Well, this pitch just gets worse and worse. I know. Right? About it. <laughs> the Dark One really needs... I'm, I'm telling you, he needs to think about how he's selling this. Like, he's... <laughs> this is the guy he's trying to recruit, and he's like, Whoa, look, this is a loyal servant of mine. <laughs> Burst into flames and goes to hell. <laughs> right. That's, that's yeah. what I do to loyal servants. Yeah, now come be my new loyal servant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. So this is a really creepy dream. And uh, in it, Balsamon then... Uh, fireballs Rand, which is what he does to wake Rand up after all these dreams, is he kills him in some way. Yeah. And he, he wakes up, 
And, uh, yeah, the one thing he says, which I think is notable, is he says, what protects you makes you vulnerable. Like, you get away from me, but you tell me where you are at the same time. Yeah, he says, uh, one, one time you hide, the next you light a signal fire. And we don't know exactly what that means, but I mean, like, at yeah. this point we're starting to suspect, yeah. I think. Maybe it has to do with that weird-ass lightning that just happened. Yeah. So, after that dream, Rand and Matt get a ride from a nice old farmer, which is something that they're going to do a lot in the next few chapters. And uh, at their, they stay at an inn... Because they, they use the last of their money, and that morning at the end, they're approached by another dark friend, who is a young guy, who says his name is Pater. A and, less ominous name. Yeah. And this guy's really nervous. So he's, like, scared of Rand and Matt. You know, he heard something went down in, in Four Kings, because apparently dark friends can talk to each other. Yeah, the word has somehow beaten them there. They yeah. Move, I mean, they move pretty quickly, I suppose. And maybe the dark one talks to him in dreams or something? I don't yeah. know. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense if he's talking to Rand in dreams, he'd be able to talk to his own guys. Yeah. Anyway, uh, basically, Rand blows him off, and when the guy won't go away, Rand punches him in the face. <laughs> yeah. It was a pretty good response. And the guy starts shouting, The great lord of the dark will have you. The shadow will swallow you. Not a great move for a dark friend to be, like, tipping their hand like that, right? Yeah, right? Right in front of, uh, you know, bystanders and stuff. Yeah. So then Rand and Matt take off, and they ride with some more farmers. And uh, the the rumors of the what happened in that town with the dark friend, the second dark friend, like follow them. And there's these wild rumors of like there were twenty dark friends with torches and stuff, or maybe there was just like one dark friend or something. Yeah, word travels fast, but not not to uh, maybe like low signal integrity. Yeah, not not accurately. Yeah. Yeah. So they they go to a, yet another inn, and they're about to play at it. But thank God, I just want to add, though, that this is another fat and clean innkeeper, so we know he's going to be a good guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's fat, he has a, a gleaming white cl- uh, uh, apron, I think is what they say, something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. which is how you tell a good innkeeper yeah. for sure. And uh, and a super bossy fat cook, too, who isn't married to him, but bosses him around. Yeah, that seems to be a key element of, of good inns, well-run mm-hmm. inns. <laughs> That's how you run a good business in, in this world. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the innkeeper runs things, but really the cook is running the show behind the scenes, I guess. It's a bossy or something, woman. and the, yeah. the cook is equivalent to the owner of the business in, in Robert Jordan's, you know, female versus male yeah, worldview. I guess so, yeah. That, that's the, the highest thing a woman can aspire to in this this particular... <laughs> being the head cook. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are no female innkeepers yet. Not yet. That's a good point. Hmm. Not any at all. No male cooks. That's a good point. Right. So, uh, they show up, and they want to play there, but Rand has an attack. He's got fevers and chills. Like, this is... One of the things that happens. To does, does this sound familiar? Somebody has, there, there's this crazy, like, lightning and all these things happen, get out of a tough spot. No. And then you see, you start feeling really sick, fever and mm-hmm. chills. I have no mm-hmm. idea. I don't yeah. Think. It starts <laughs> happening sooner after the lucky breaks or something. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I don't mean that. I, it could be, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, at this point, it is not stated what's going on with Rand, but this is a pretty common pattern. So, there, so Rand, Matt is basically taking care of Rand in the, the, Stable. The innkeeper lets him stay in the stable. But he's not doing very well either. He's half blind at this point, right? Right, yeah. So these people are really unhappy. Yeah. And Matt is kind of a, acting like a jerk anyway. True. But in this stable, yet another dark friend makes a pass at them. It's like every town now, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's they can't trust anybody or something. Is and, everyone a dark friend? And every dark friend they meet, like, stands out in a weird way. That mm-hmm. The young man earlier, they, he looked like a normal guy, but his clothes clearly were the clothes of somebody who never... Never worked a day in his life. So they're all wealthy. Yeah, right? See, that should be part of the branding, right? Yeah, right. Come well, be a dark friend and you can be like a, like a wealthy merchant. Uh, you know, <laughs> you get like sweet 
fire daggers and stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it depends on how many people, dark friends you recruit under you. It's kind of like a multi-level <laughs> marketing opportunity uh, here. That's how you really make the big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> this Pater kid was deciding between selling Herbalife and uh, being a dark friend. <laughs> I think he chose poorly. I mean, I don't think mm. you get punched in the face for selling Herbalife. I don't know. I imagine that's happened. <laughs> So they, yeah. So this is a a, a pretty dark friend, a lady oh. who comes in and and Ooh, ran, lady. She's pretty, but but she's got no soul or something. Not she has literally. A, she she has, has a cold, unfeeling yeah, face or something. Which I'm not exactly sure what that means. But I, I was having trouble figuring out what he was getting out there. Anyway, she's dressed really nice. She's not like a townsperson, and she comes in and, and starts like saying, "Oh, what's up with your friend there? Uh, you know, your friend's all sick." And when she gets close to him, she pulls out a knife and comes at them, which is very straightforward. Yeah. They're much more straightforward than these other dark friends have been. Yeah. Uh, but they manage to dodge, and the knife goes into the, the wood of the stable, and uh, Matt manages to get his knife out, his ruby-hilted dagger from Shadar Logoth, uh, and, and immobilize her. And the dagger stuck, stuck into the wall burns the wall. There's, like, smoke coming out of it, the, the wall where the dagger is burning it. Yeah. Which is, so like, these people have powers, right? There's Magic not just, weapons. Right. It's not like Herbalife. This is actually doing something <laughs> for them. <laughs> That's practical application, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they, they lock her in the stable and they take off, but it's just, like, where do they go? Everywhere they go, it seems, like some dark friends show up. So anyway, they get away from that. And they throw the dagger away. Yeah, they I would totally keep that. I mean, well, maybe that's like the role-playing game player in me is like, loot that corpse. <laughs> well, you, maybe you don't have the high enough dexterity to use the dagger. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm going to keep that plus one flaming dagger. Maybe the dark one could trade it. Maybe it kills you in a month or something, but the lady didn't care. Uh, that's true. It, I'd still sell it's it. It's evil. I'd still, still try and sell it. Yeah, well, they, they dump it in a bucket of water, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably what the farmer uses to, you know, water the horses and stuff. He's going to find that oh, dagger. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> he's going to burn himself on that flaming dagger. Yeah, he's going to reach in there and pick it up and oh. get radio radiation poisoning or whatever just, it is. I think it's very irresponsible of them to leave that dagger in that bucket instead of selling it to somebody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> instead of selling it to the local shopkeeper. <laughs> or carrying it around. Uh, well, they've already got a, a really nice dagger from Shadow Logoth. So. That's true. Yeah, so they, then they meet Hyam Kinch, the guy from the, that they are flashing back from. Uh, and so that's the end of that chapter. It's a lot of a lot of dark friends here. Uh, I also want to mention that I, I, I think previously we had talked a little bit about the italicized text, and we've been seeing a couple more of these notes, mm-hmm. and it and it it still seems to be kind of an unusual thing, a, a, a negative voice. I mean, we have here. Let's see. Um, you know, if, if he ever gets home, then in italics, if you ever do. You know, it's like this, like, voice of doubt. <laughs> and there's another one that's, um, let's see. Uh, it's all catching up, all the running, all the looking over your shoulder. It's like this voice in the back of his head that's yeah, kind of menacing and He's got trying real, to break him down. A real negative inner voice. Well, that's, I was wondering if, it, if it's actually him. Is it actually him, or is this, this is like the, the, the insidious voice of the of Balsamon talking to him it's not it's never as far as i remember and as far as i've seen so far it's never explicitly stated but it does seem to be like Mm -hmm. this voice that's kind of murmuring in his ear in a negative way yeah yeah we don't know at this point maybe Rand is just you know it could just be real down on himself yeah it could be that too it's true maybe when he was like you know slopping out the sheep pen or something he's like you'll never succeed (laughs) you'll never see your friends again shut up voice you're the worst yeah so chapter 34 the last village Thank God. This, the, the icon is Trollocs, uh, which is 
I don't think there are any Trollocs in this. Yeah, right. That's true. That's that. It's it's an odd. Well, there's a fade, I guess. That's, and it's maybe it's just icons of the Dark Ones minions. Yeah, there's not really an icon for the fade, I suppose. Yeah. So Rand and Matt are trudging on. Matt is still being awful, and Rand is losing hope. And they they sleep in a haystack. And what do you know? They find themselves among a huge crowd of people heading towards Camelin. Just people all over the road, like a like a music festival or something, just walking. Yeah. And they're all going to see the false dragon. The false dragon is being taken through Camelin to be shown off by the Aes Sedai. And that's great, because that means Random Matt can now move with cover, right? Now there's lots of other young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they even see some people who look like them, who are younger younger men covered in dust and yeah, from with, traveling on the road. Yeah, not a lot of possessions. Right. But the, the downside is that the, the village people and the farm people and the Queen's Guard now just think they're part of this rabble of, of false dragon watchers, so they kind of treat them pretty rough. Yeah. Instead of being really nice to him, like the, the villagers have been up to this point. Yeah, it seems, seems like the at this point, people are starting to become wary of outsiders because there's so many people passing through their towns. Yeah. Yeah, and stealing, too. Apparently, that's a problem. True. Stealing food and stuff. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm confused about the draw of the, fo- of the false dragon. Like, why are there literally thousands of people just abandoning everything with no no food, no money, and just walking so they can get a glimpse of this guy. I don't understand the appeal. It sounds like this is this is a big deal for, as far as history. It'd be like if someone were parading, like, I don't know, the, the, the head of, like, a, a, a warring nation through your city or something like that. You'd be like, you'd be curious to see it, you know? You've been at this, you've been at this war, and then the, the you know, the, the, the dictator from this country is, like, brought to your city. You'd be curious to go see it. I guess. It seems like it's almost a religious experience, a pilgrimage, for a yeah. lot of these people. Yeah, it's he's kind of like, I think the false, the, or the dragon is viewed by a lot of people sort of as the Antichrist. And so these, whenever, at a, a, <laughs> just like in the real world, people show up all the time calling themselves the Antichrist, you know? Uh, not like in the real world. <laughs> but so all these people are, so when that when that happens, which happens every few decades or something, it's big news, right? And they want to go see it. And this is this and they, guy, don't, they don't have TV, so the only way to see it is to go see it. And this guy in particular is a big deal because, as we've as we've heard already, previous false dragons were just schlubs, but this guy could do things, quote unquote. Yeah, he could he could use the one power. Yeah, so he's he's a rarity even but, among false dragons. But you're right that this is weird. I don't think I don't think we have a real analog to this happening in the real world. Uh, I know that there are a lot of rootless people in sort of the Middle Ages that would that would go around in big crowds and could be led around by these kind of religious mountebanks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Would you, well, would you say these people are going uh, to idolize this person or to to gawk? I, it's, to me, it sounds more like a, this is this is a, a sideshow for them. But I, that's my impression. Well, they're definitely not idolizing idolizing him because he's bad. False dragons are supposed to be bad. Well, I mean, he still managed to gather thousands of followers, right? Yeah. yeah some people, most people think they're bad. Some people think they're good. So mm-hmm. it's it's both. I think that Andor is suffering from a very high unemployment rate among their youth. <laughs> because these kids can just take off. They don't have anything else going on. It's true, right? He was yeah. tending the farm, kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, it's kind of a shitty economy they're in, right? They talk about how... Mm-hmm. Farming's not going well. A lot of things aren't going real well. So maybe that's true. The win- the winter is is a long winter. It's it's stretching out. So all the time these people might normally be engaged in farm activities, but they can't farm right now because it's the ground is 
not welcoming two crops. Mm. The ground is barren. (laughs) That's right. And it's also worth noting that there's a difference between the dragon and the false dragon. We don't know a lot about it, but everyone seems to be making a point that, that, you know, whenever someone says, oh, the dragon, they're like, no, no, the false dragon, you know? Mm. So that, I don't know if that's part of it too. Yeah. I think the dragon, when the dragon shows up, the prophecies say he's going to end the world basically. Yeah. And some people think that's a good thing and some people think that's a bad thing. So I guess they're invested. (laughs) Anyway, what I wanted to note too is that the, they meet, Queen's guards, right? Actual right. soldiers riding around, evidence of a political authority. And the Queen's guards they see are very nice. They're very dutiful. They're like firm but polite with everybody. They don't they're there are farmers asking them, like, you know, sweep all this rabble away, but the farmers are like, no, nothing nothing wrong with walking on the road. They're not doing anything. This is the Queen's Road. Anyone can travel on it as long yeah. as they're not stealing from you. So they seem like good cops, basically. Well, it, it speaks to I mean I guess it speaks to the, the Queen. I think Morgase, Morgase, Morgase. You know, it's 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 good to see that there is a positive military force. But we we also know that they used to range a lot further than they do now. I think it was that that first farm they traveled with was who introduced them to the idea of the Queen's Guard. Said, "Oh, they used to go all over the place, but now these days, you know, they just they have a really tight, tight yeah, patrol area, losing whatever. losing control or something. I don't know." So at the the last village. That uh, Rand and Matt visit, they overhear a... Carysford, I think? Uh, no, it's confusingly written. Carysford is where they start, but they go to a couple other villages, and they never say the name of the village. Oh, that's right, that yeah. That they, they meet the next guy in. Right, right. Uh, because it's just village after village in these chapters, and there's no point in learning their names. They, yeah, they, they overhear a fade giving orders to the local innkeeper. And they don't know it's a fade right away because it's in the shadows. But when it walks away, a corner of its cloak touches the light, and that and the cloak doesn't move in the wind. So. We know what that means. Yeah, it's fade, and the fade is giving them like this, giving the guy descriptions of what Rand and Matt look like, and it's offering gold to to pick them up. And the the innkeeper starts telling this story about how they're they're thieves and they stole us the Heron Mark sword. So the Heron Mark sword is what people are looking for, but uh, Rand and Matt. Instead of going into that end, they catch a ride with this farmer that's heading to see the false dragon and is traveling at night because he's crazy. <laughs> but it's worth noting that the innkeeper immediately turns around and starts, like, spinning a tail to this... It's the farmer guy, right? The guy they catch a yeah. ride with? He's like, oh, yeah, that, that that guy in the shadows was totally a merchant friend of mine who's looking for these guys <laughs> right. who stole something from him. The kind of merchant that, that rides in the night and arrives and stays in the shadow and talks only to one person. Yeah. <laughs> It's just acting really sketchy, but right. I, maybe this is how dark friends are getting their orders from fades riding around. Yeah, we don't know how quickly fades can move, except they, mm-hmm. um, their horses don't make sounds when they run or something. Yeah, <laughs> but it does seem like there are threats to random met everywhere. For sure. So they, they catch a ride with this guy, Almond Bunt, who who seems to give them a ride mostly because he just doesn't like that innkeeper. cake? Almond bunt? Yeah. It is. <laughs> bunt oh my God. cake. We're, we're going to find out that all the people in this book are named after desserts. There's <laughs> yeah. a whole layer we don't know about. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the villains all sell in villains and all the good guys, they have cake names. Yeah. So, yeah, they ride with they ride overnight with Almond Bunt, who's going overnight because the roads will be clear. But the reason people don't do that is because it's pitch black. And, and also, it's no probably dangerous. I mean, I assume 
if there's dark friends out there's probably also other nerdy wells like bandits and stuff but mm. he doesn't seem concerned no he doesn't and he apparently he talks the entire time oh <laughs> but we get some up. good information but yeah Rand yeah. falls asleep and he wakes up and this guy's still freaking <laughs> still talking, talking. Yeah. Matt's like this guy never shuts up <laughs> yeah. he gives them a, a lecture on local politics and history <laughs> as, as relevant to the events of the next few chapters <laughs> it's, very, it's very helpful for us but it must be awful for Rand and Matt <laughs> alright he's like well, we just want to sleep dude <laughs> thanks for the ride <laughs> but we do get a little bit of a background on like the sordid political history of Andor. Yeah, so here's the here's what I wrote down for there, the the quick history of Andor. Yeah, as usual. Uh, this guy loves the queen. He's a queen's man, but he hates the tradition that the queen has of having an Aes Sedai advisor. In this case, Elida. And, and this whole time, by the way, random matter like like hiding in the wagon because they think the shadows are going to jump out at them because maybe they will because there's fades there. Right. Okay. Uh, Bunt tells them that uh, Queen Morgays has a daughter, uh, Lady Elaine, and a son, Lord Gawain. The daughter is the daughter heir, because I guess this is like a like a female line of succession. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, hey, that's great, right? Yeah. I mean, so Robert Jordan's not all bad. He's got this... That's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah good. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's square now. Yeah. <laughs> the, daughter, the daughter heir trains with the Aes Sedai in Tarvalon, and the eldest son tra- trains with the warders in Tarvalon, and this is the tradition. Almond Bun doesn't, Bunt doesn't like this because he doesn't like the Aes Sedai, but it's the tradition of the royal house of Andor. Uh, Queen Morgase's older sister Tigraine uh, was lost somehow, confusingly. She's just gone. And her brother Luke died in the blight. And this is given as evidence by Bunt that training in Tarvalon's a bad idea. Which if, you know, all the people you send there never come back, that is a bad idea, right? Well, I mean, the blight is a very dangerous place. But I, I, I guess I could see like a benefit to this, right? I mean, if you want your... We don't know what the Sword Prince's job is, but I mean, like, you want your your leadership I mean, it's, to... It's right there in the title, right? <laughs> the Sword Prince? Yeah, I mean, he's, like, he's a prince and he uses a sword. Is that, is that, I mean, is, is he like a military leader? Is he... I assume so, yeah, right? You like, you see a problem that swords can solve, you send the Sword Prince. Okay. There's probably like a, a loaf of bread prince, too, that, that <laughs> feeds your people at feasts and stuff. <laughs> that, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, and he also mentions Terengale Damodred, who was the father of Elaine and Gawain, who was the prince consort, and that he was some kind of schemer that was involved in the Isle War, and that's basically all he knows about it or something. Uh, and that, I don't, I think that's going to be relevant eventually. Well, I th- is it he, I, I, maybe I misread this, but I think he's now Queen Morgay's... He's dead. Oh, wait. No, he, but he was... He, he was the he prince was, consort, but oh. he was... There was a war, after Tigraine, Morgay's older sister... Uh, was lost. There was a, a kind of a succession thing, and Terengale Damodred was a schemer who, in that thing, either started the Ale War or contributed to it, and also married Morgays and became the prince consort and the father of Elaine and Gawain. Right. Okay. But then he died. But then he died. Right. <laughs> in, um, in the war? Uh, I don't, this guy didn't say. Okay. So, Rand sleeps in the cart, and he has messed up dreams, but they don't seem to be evil devil dreams. They seem to be just the normal messed up dreams of a guy who has been through what he's been through. Yeah. And he wakes up, and there it came. Yay! Finally. 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 I know, that was like the longest travel. Yeah, this this traveling thing made me really wish for like a little bit less fantasy travel. (laughs) You know, like uh, earlier I mentioned how it's great that Robert Jordan was like representing travel in realistic ways, but I could have done a little fast travel here. The problem was they were just one one village after another, one farmer, kindly farmer in a cart ride after another. And then one dark friend in every village. Yeah. Like Feels the local, a little formulaic. It does, yeah. So finally they're in Camelon in chapter 35, Camelon. 
the icon is a lion, which is the uh, royal sigil of the house of Queen Morgay. A lion rampant. Lion rampant. Yeah, so it's a rampant it lion. Like that. It's ramping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Rand is awed by Camelon. This is the biggest city he's ever seen. Bigger than Shadar Logoth. Much bigger than Barillon. Much bigger than Whitebridge. It's incredible. Yeah, he uh, said. I think he says at one point Barillon could have been swallowed in one of the little sub burrows outside of the walls. It's yeah. crazy because he's talking about how the wall stretches so far that he can't even see where it where it ends on either mm-hmm. side. This and I'm thinking to myself, how big is that? That's like, a big city. Even when you're yeah. approaching Manhattan, you can still see where it starts and ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking are... like London, where it's just sort of big and sprawling. Fair enough, because there's no island hemming it in. Mm-hmm. And there's a it's a 50 foot wall around it, right? Yeah, that's a big wall. That's substantial. Yeah. Although there's lots of uh, the city that's built outside the wall, so I don't think they've had a war in a long time. Yeah, it must not. So uh, Rand is really impressed by this. Matt is a total shithead about it. Of course. <laughs> of course. Rand that's what he does. Su- Matt still sucks, man. He's... Yeah. He's just like, this sucks. They're all dark friends. We can't be safe here. Or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. It's so noisy. <laughs> yeah. This is... Uh... Let's see. Yeah, they head in through these giant gates... Big enough for a giant. Big enough for 20 giants. Which, I guess, is a lot of giants. I mean, like, does he does he seen a giant before? How big does he think a giant is? Yeah, right, that's not really a good... That's not a good reference point for us. I mean, to, to him, a giant could be someone who's, like, 7 feet tall, 8 feet tall. I mean, he's <laughs> tall, but he's, like, a giant you know, taller than me. <laughs> that's right. Big enough for 26 footers. <laughs> and uh, they're overwhelmed. It's They they think, I've actually felt this way. When I when I visited Manhattan, I was thinking, like, this is... Where do you go to just be alone and or just not be around people? And you don't in Manhattan. There's nowhere that you go for that. Yeah. And this is how Camelin is. Just people living cheek by jowl. Yeah, he he, he mentions, I, I, I remember uh, Berlon being overwhelming with a number of people, but Cayman, like, blows that out of the water. So it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and, this, and it's really rowdy, too, because there's all these, like, the city's already pretty crowded, and there's all these people, the gawkers come to see the dragon, and there's also people wearing uh, notably red and white. Uh, well, some are wearing red, some are wearing white. Uh, or some which, are wearing red on white or white on red. It's it's red tied off with white string or white tied off with red string. Yeah. And Rand is like, yeah, I want to blend in, so I'm yeah. going to put these gang colors on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's, yeah. He's like, buy some gang colors for a sword. <laughs> he's yeah. like, well, the red fabric's cheaper, so I'll <laughs> yeah, get that so one. get that one. I love how he doesn't even ask. He just goes with whatever's cheapest. That seems like a good thing to ask about. I mean, like, if everyone's got these two, like, clear color delineations, that doesn't even occur to him. <laughs> and the shopkeeper is even like... Oh, you're going to buy that fabric? And spits at him. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's the cheap one. <laughs> thanks, thanks for your time. He says yeah. something weird. He's like, he treats it like he said, have a good day or something like that. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, yeah, and he, uh, well, he's buying the, ta- the fabric to cover up his hair and mark sword because that's distinctive. Right. But it, what he covers it with maybe works. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. He, he buys red cloth because it's cheaper. Right. Uh, right. And so they go to the, the inn that Tom recommended to them, which is the Queen's Blessing. Which they find eventually by just asking around, which I guess is how you do it at that point. That made sense to me. I mean, they, gonna, yeah. yeah, there aren't any maps or GPS or anything, so mm-hmm. you just kind of ask people until you yeah, finally they, get to show get there. That's this world's version of Google: is just ask the people that are near you until one of them knows. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and it, and it makes sense that like half the people there actually don't even know where that place is because the city's so big. You know, mm-hmm. it's not until he gets relatively close to the people you've heard of it. Yeah. And the, he meets the innkeeper there, Basil Gill, and Basil Gill knows Tom, and he he's like, totally buys that Tom would help these guys. Wait, these wait, kids. Basil Gill is he fat? 
He's fat. He has a bald spot. He's got a clean apron. All right. Sounds like a good guy. His, his, his <laughs> maids are, are, are like nice and they don't have any bruises on their faces. <laughs> Is there a cook? Uh, yeah, and she's fat. All right. See, this, we're okay. this, yeah, everything's yeah, okay. We're, we're good. This yeah, is a this safe, safe place. place. Basil Gill's basically right away like, oh, yeah, Tom would have totally gotten involved with boys like you. Yeah. Not, oh. No, not in a weird <laughs> way. Just like he would have totally, like. About got, your age, you know. Yeah. He, he seems to know Tom's history and uh, lends credence to Tom's story about his. Right. Nephew. That's why they believe his their, their crazy story about how, you know, Tom was helping us out and then he died. And we've got all that stuff now, <laughs> but it wasn't our fault. So we want you to like give us some free room and board now. I also think it's worth noting that he doesn't believe that Tom is dead. He's like, I'll you know, believe it when I see his dead body. Exactly. He's a <laughs> he's a harder man to kill than you might believe. Is what they say. <laughs> yeah. So Gil is a Queens man, which he says that several times, and that doesn't mean anything to random Matt because they're not good at picking up on signals. Right. No. And he gives them a little bit of history about Tom Marilyn now that Tom is dead. So that's useful. Right. Now we know a little bit of Tom's backstory. You know, Tom was a court bard in uh, Camelin, and he was closer than was proper with Queen Morghese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> High five for Tom. Which explains why Tom is so fancy. Yeah. Tickled her with his mustaches. <laughs> All four of them. <laughs> and uh, Tom was the... the Court bard. Court bard, right. That's why he's so fancy. Right. Uh, to Queen Morghese. But he took off without leave to go help his nephew after his nephew could channel and, and was being hunted by the, the Aes Sedai. Yeah, so we see these things are pretty closely tied together. We don't really have a timeline exactly, but it seems like this this thing with his nephew is directly responsible for his, like, bad bad situation. It is, with. yeah. And, and when he came back, the he also, uh, Queen Morghese was angry at him for taking off, because I guess they were, you know, closer than propriety allowed. And... They also, she was mad at him for meddling with Aes Sedai business. Well, Elida was too. Is it Elida? Elida, yeah. Elida was upset as well because uh, she's an Aes Sedai and she's like, yeah. that's not your not your place. Exactly. And and so he basically told off Queen Morghese uh, in a way that you don't do to queens. Yeah. And so he left town right ahead of the arrest warrant. And so he might have ended up in a dungeon or with his head cut off for mouthing off. That seems like a pretty extreme reaction, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know what queens are like in this in this world. Mhm. Uh I think in any world uh talking back to a queen is a bad idea. <laughs> Probably so. So uh, that's that's the story of Tom. That's why he's such this he, he's this well-trained court bar type dude, but he travels from tavern to tavern end to end entertaining lowborn folk. Yeah. And and apparently it's it's to the point that the innkeeper is surprised that Tom was going to come back because the, there are still people around who, if they heard his name or saw his face, uh, he might still end up dead, you know? Yeah, so this this was probably not that long ago. Maybe ten years ago? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it was after the Isle War, which is when Rand was born. No, it was it was longer ago than that that they hooked up because Morghese was a widow, so I think that was because she was married twice. So I think that was before oh, her second marriage okay, when so, she had um, Elaine and Gowan. Oh, okay. he also he does mention that uh, at the time uh, the queen was young, a young widow, quote unquote, oh, and Tom okay. was a a performer in his prime or something like that. <laughs> I bet he was, <laughs> yeah, apparently. So, so it's probably been a couple decades. Yeah, it's been at least twenty years. Then probably more than that. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, that makes sense with their ages. So that's that's really nice backstory. So we understand where Tom is coming from now that he's dead. We got a little bit of a historical, like a she Queen Elizabeth Sir Walter Raleigh vibe mm, going on there. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, she held those young, handsome men at her court who and, would occasionally really piss her off. Yeah, she's a redhead, too. Oh, 
Oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I think Andor is really a, like a analog for England. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the name even has a little bit of angle. Andor. Yeah, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, Basil Gill's a good dude, and he gives them room and board for free just for being Tom's friends, which is really great because they're poor. Well, and, and but he does mention that it's kind of a, a, a big deal because there's not enough, like everyone's kind of yeah. starving a little bit right now. Yeah, he gives them some food, and the food is like you know real thin scraps of meat and stuff because you can't afford anything else. And the, the trees and dirt in the city, the grass is all dead, the trees are all dead, and the people in the city don't notice because... Like us, they're they're well fed city folk who aren't close to the land, but but it's pretty pretty worrying if you're yeah, paying attention. Rand mentions, uh, I think he says something like, "Oh, you know, when when things get really sad, really scary, I don't know, I I don't want to see what this is going to turn into." You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So chapter thirty six, web of the pattern, and there's a, a Venusaur leaf is the icon. Wait, 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 what did we decide that one? That one's symbolic of what? Do we like know nature or something? Yeah. yeah. Uh. Which yeah. makes sense. I mean, it, I, I, I guess that's, it's pretty obvious who it's alluding to yeah. in this chapter. Uh, but yeah, I'm just curious if there's a theme in the Avendasaur leaf chapters mm-hmm. thus far. So uh, so Basil Gill's feeding Rand and Matt, and Rand tells Gill a, a, a cleaned up version of their story. You know, no no supernatural stuff. So I, it's weird to think, like, what is that story? Some dudes are just chasing us and the Aes Sedai are helping us, but it's nothing weird? Yeah, I was in my town, then, a, then we were attacked, I guess, and you just leave it ambiguous. And then we ran away from the people who were attacking us. We don't know why they're trying... But he does He does mention dark friends, right? He doesn't say... He does, I guess that's true, yeah. No Trollocs and Fades, but he does mention the dark friends. So. And, and, and Basil Gill tells him, don't like, don't go to Elida because she hates Tom Marilyn, and, and she'll... She'll, she's like got special powers. She'll figure out that you're connected to Tom Marilyn, even if you don't want to tell it to her. She can smell out men's secrets, yeah. I think is what it says. Especially when you start talking about dark friends. And don't talk to the guard either, because they'll take you to Elida. Right. Mm. So, Matt goes into their attic room and goes to sleep and sulks and is a real jerk about it. Like yeah, he always he's, is. He's like really bringing the, the whole thing down, isn't he? I am he? really tired of Matt. He's constantly just saying, oh, everybody else is dead. Yeah, I'm dead and gripping his his dagger underneath his cloak, mm-hmm. just being an asshole. I remember you mentioned that Matt was one of your favorite characters previously, but at this point, he still kind of sucks. He gets yeah. better, I know, but yeah, he gets better later on. There's there's something else going on with Matt right now. Yeah, sure, but he still sucks. <laughs> like I, I I have trouble deciding which character is most annoying right now, him or Nynaeve. But right now, maybe it's just because I've had so much exposure. Matt seems like the more annoying. Yeah, and Rand is, is almost literally carrying him through this. That's a good point, yeah. So Rand says, oh, don't you want to go check out the city? And Matt's like, no, fuck off. You know? And he's, he's just sulking and sleep sulking like a teenager. And all of our friends are dead. Every time Rand's yeah. trying to be optimist, he's like, they're probably all dead. Yeah, they're dead. I wonder if Robert Jordan served with somebody like that. No, oh, maybe he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Rand... He wants to hang out in the common room, but he's trying to—he's still trying to avoid people. So he goes to hang out in the inn's library, and the books are great. He's Rand is all about books, so he's admiring all these books. It's and a great library. They're reminding him of home, and he's thinking about how much his dad would like this. Uh, when he notices, also in the library, is a ten-foot-tall dude with a mane and like animalistic features and a snout, ears that poked up to tufted points through a shaggy black mane. <laughs> yeah, right, and, and eyes like saucers and. And, and like a wide nose, and he's ten feet tall. So, so Rand has the reasonable reaction that, oh, this is probably a fucking Trolloc, right? <laughs> yeah. And he trips over his own feet and falls down, and the and the, the ten foot tall guy's like, I wish you humans wouldn't 
be so overreactive like that. <laughs> this, this this guy is like my favorite so far. I'm really into Loyal. <laughs> yeah, Loyal is the the guy's name. He introduces himself. Uh, Loyal something 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 something. I didn't write it down. Loyal son of Erend, son of Halan. Yeah, uh, and he is an Ogier. And he says that Ren's name sings in his ears, which I assume is an Ogier tradition. We don't know. Sure. Okay, yeah. so going to pronunciation, I love how you guys are saying Ogier, like original gangster ear. <laughs> I thought it was Ogier, but oh, yeah. what do, we what need do you to. Think? It's not in the back of the book, so we need to make a decision. Uh, it's probably it's probably a hard G, you know. Ogre. Well, it sounds a lot like an ogre. Yeah. Well, that's the point. Right? Is it? He's uh, an ogre. Is he an ogre? I thought ogres were bad guys. Well, you know, Trollocs like are like trolls. All right, we can call him an Ogier. <laughs> you say OG, everyone will know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so Loyal is an Ogier uh, visiting the city. He's from a steading where the Ogier live, and he's like a creature out of a fairy story to, to Rand, but like a good one. And he's really, really nice. <laughs> well, they mention Ogier around the very, very beginning, before they even start going off on their adventures. They mention Ogier and um, other... Fit creatures that you don't think are actually real, you know, fantastical creatures from stories that do turn out to be real. Yeah, and this is another one of them, so maybe all those stories are true. Who knows? Yeah. And uh, Loyal is well-dressed and very polite, and he's very pleased to have somebody to talk to, because apparently whenever he goes out in the city, everybody screams and runs away from him, <laughs> which yeah, he, he been... finds to be very disheartening. <laughs> he was chased by a mob with torches and knives, and he's just like... <laughs> Oh, you know, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's like, I was starting to get upset. <laughs> He's a little entish. Yeah, I, that's a real, yeah, that's a good, a good point there. Mm-hmm. They are very entish that as, as a group, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, and he mentions that he is 90 years old, uh, and he is considered too young to be out on his own, and so he snuck away from his home. <laughs> he's a runaway Ogier. <laughs> yeah, he's a runaway, uh, I guess, teenage Ogier. Yeah. And they, he talks. He mentions that they were having a meeting over whether they should his his ogier elders whether they should let him leave because he's so young and they've been talking about it for a year, which is not very long. <laughs> which is not very long. Only and he a year. Just got impatient and left on his own. He's and he's he's wondering if they've even noticed he's gone yet. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, he figured they by the time they were done talking about it, he'd be old enough to leave on his own anyway. So he left. To see the groves. He wanted to see the groves and the, the, the great trees. And he, he's really sad because there's no groves. And Rand doesn't know what he's talking about. Groves? What? Yeah. And he says, around, there's a grove for each of these great cities that the Ogier built after the breaking of the world. They built, them, they built a grove there, which is a, a, a trees that were there sculpted through the Ogier powers, however it works. And they're the nicest groves ever. They have great trees that are in perfect harmony and they... they they make the elder Ogier laugh and weep at the same time to see him. And they're made from, apparently, from indigenous trees, which is kind of interesting. They, yeah, they, they pick whatever trees are local, and they make this amazing grove out of them. So they're, they're horticulturalists. And it's interesting because we've seen this, that, they, that the, the humans talk about the Ogier as though they are great stonemasons, and that the Ogier stonework is the most amazing thing to behold. But the Ogier don't even care about that. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we learned to do some stonework, but that's just... You know, that was just paying the bills while we were looking for the steadying after the breaking of the world. Right, because he mentions that, that stone is lifeless and they, they prefer to work with living things. And did they say that the Ogier built um, Whitebridge? They didn't say anything about Whitebridge specifically, but okay. he does mention yeah, Carhine, 
and Camelin as places that Ogier yeah. had built. Mm. Which are these? Are, those are all big cities, mm-hmm. and so they are apparently the those big cities were at least grew up around something that the Ogier built, along with groves. And so Aloyal is traveling to all the big cities to see the groves, and in his histories as an Ogier, you know the the Hundred Years' War, which was two thousand years ago, is six generations ago. So he's he's thinking of these as something that. That was just, you know, pretty recent history. But for the humans, this is there. They don't even remember them, right? It's the distant past. Mm-hmm. And so he's disappointed to find that the groves are all gone. Yeah, I think he mentions that there might that there's one still in Tarvalon, but that might be the only one left. Yeah. And so he's traveling to the, the cities, and also he's like an excitable, hot-headed Ogier, and he read a bunch of cool stories in the, in the books, and he wanted to go see the things out in the world. He's seeking adventure. It's also worth noting that he recognized the name of Menethrin, which is something that Randon, right no one in Two Rivers had even heard. But yeah, yeah, but he'd read about it in his stories, and he was sad that the Ogier were not able to come help them in the fight. And he also mistakes Rand for an Isleman. That's so strange. I wonder why that could be. Yeah. Huh. How about that? He looks like an, yeah. He, it's it's, it's, it's kind of a funny exchange because he says like something that that. Uh, as far as I can tell, it's like an Isleman inside joke or something. And, and he, say, he says this thing, and then kind of looks at Rand, and Rand is like, yep. Yeah, <laughs> and it gets awkward. <laughs> and Rand is like, nope, I'm from the Two Rivers. No reason why you would think I was anything but from the Two Rivers. Because he's still in denial. Yeah, and of course the you know the ogre takes it as a, a, a failure on his own, because mm-hmm. he's very un- unconfident about what yeah. the humans are up to these days. He sounded very, he, he actually sounded like my grandmother. Uh, <laughs> you see, everything has changed and half of what I know is useless. Aww. I hope I did not offend you. <laughs> Poor yeah. guy. Poor guy. I'm having trouble keeping up. <laughs> he seems like the, a nice dude. Humans are just, they, we're so fast. We're so aggressive. We, we want to get out and do something. You know, we, we're not satisfied unless something happens within 20 years or something. <laughs> That's right. So Rand tells Loyal his whole story. Yeah, he just spills the beans. Right, for some reason he just does. And even he thinks it's weird. As he's saying it, like he's like, what am I doing? Oh my god, why am I telling this guy everything? Yeah, which I'm not entirely sure why that is. But the answer might be in the next thing that Loyal tells him after hearing the story, that he is a tavern, which is a important thing. Different than a tavern. Yeah, different. He's not a tavern. He might be a tavern. Later in the story, I don't know. Yeah, things get weird. <laughs> he's a tavern, and uh, he, Loyal gets kind of mystical about the pattern here. He starts talking about how the pattern, the wheel weaves the pattern, and it, and there's some freedom in everybody's thread. Like in your life, you can change things in your life a little bit, but you can't change where your thread is altogether. Like you, you can't make yourself a king or something if you're not born to be a king. But you can make small changes, but occasionally some people become important threads that the, the wheel uses to change a bunch of lives, and those are Ta Varen. And that's what Rand is, Loyal says, and probably Matt and Perrin too. Which, really, when he was describing it, seemed to me like he's saying, you're a main character. <laughs> like, We're all NPCs, but you, you're the... Yeah, all the stuff you do is going to change everybody's lives, and everybody's lives are going to bend around you, and Rand. your adventure is going to be the most important thing. John protagonist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the, and the things that you're that happen to you aren't necessarily going to make sense, like from a logical standpoint, but they'll make sense from a dramatic standpoint because <laughs> you're a main character. Uh, yeah. So I'm a. It, it is confusing though that they say that the wheel weaves because looms don't have wheels, right? They're spinning it's, wheels to make yarn, it's, but it's the wheel of time. Yeah. 
So everyone talks about the wheel and the pattern in, in sort of like a, a religious way, but he talks about it in practical terms. Like, this is how these things fit together. This is, so I wonder if the Ogier have like a closer connection to the pattern and fate because they're so long lived. They see it in, in more practical yeah. terms. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking because they do live so long they can take a step back and they can actually see the pattern changing. Where if you're a hasty human... Uh, you're not going to see those changes. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah it's, that it's, would make sense. It's it's kind of cool because I think that, you know, it up until this point, it's been a little bit ambiguous the way these things work. But he's saying no, this is this is what this guy does, and this is what this thing is, and these are how, this is how it all fits yeah. together. So it's a little to me, it's a little ambiguous. Is Rand being a Taveran? Is he going to change people's lives? By the force of his presence or something? Is he making people's lives change? Or is he just happen to be the guy that is the thread that's going around these people's lives who are changing anyway? I think it's the, the, the former because he says that, you know, normal people can't make decisions and change their lives. But you can, whatever you do is going to happen and the pattern will bend to what you do, basically. That's, that's the way he describes it, I think. Okay, so, he, so Rand has more free will than other people. Right. And, and he's just going to have... Crazy, lucky things happening around him all the time. Exactly. That's that's my impression, anyway. Okay. So he's a main character. <laughs> so he's a main character, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and... Uh, and then Loyal, after hearing this, Loyal says, I want to join you. I want to see this crazy Taveran thing happening. But Rand demurs. He says, no, it's too dangerous to get killed. Like, oh, yeah, you're this this awesome, like, really kind of friendly, like, yeah. giant person who wants to help me? Yeah, nah. full of interesting information about how the world works and the history and stuff. Well, he has a good point, though, because they're trying to keep it on DL, and the Ogiers are going to stand out. <laughs> it would be very difficult to sneak point. with a 10-foot-tall person. Yes. Right. He doesn't fit in haystacks, probably. <laughs> Unless they're really big haystacks. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I kind of like, that's the end of that chapter, pretty much, that... I kind of like that idea of the the Taveran because it it sort of lampshades the the fact that 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 Rand is having a very unlikely adventure, Rand and Matt and Perrin, in this world. You know, he's just a farm boy and he gets pulled out into this world, and it's because not because of his particular virtues, it's just because of the needs of the the whatever creative force is weaving this story. So Robert Jordan is the wheel. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. And Rand is a Taveran, and maybe also his friends. He says that maybe not just you, maybe Perrin is a Taveran, and Matt is a Taveran, whatever. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of interesting. I kind of like it. It's uh, it, it makes the story a little bit easier to swallow, because yeah. some crazy things have happened so far. So, you know, I mean, there, yes, there is a deus ex machina, but it's really just that the wheel is weaving this crazy thing. Yeah, right. All right, well, yeah, that's it. Uh, that was chapters 32 through 36 of The Eye of the World. Next time, we're going to talk about chapters 37 through 41 of The Eye of the World. I am Jeff Lake. That's Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. If you have any comments or questions or feedback, please email us at hello at thedragonreread.com. And please share us on your social media and give us good reviews uh, in your newspapers. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook and like us in real life. Please, we're very likable. Yeah, we, we want to be liked. It's desperate. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. I don't want any of you to like me. <laughs> so until next time. The, the light, light illumine you. you.